Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. I love these words, be yours and bless. Amen. Do you realize how little it actually takes to make someone else feel really good? And if you don't right now, I hope you do by the end of this sermon. Because it is so easy and so doable and so much what Jesus wants us to do. My stepfather-in-law, Dick, that's a lot of hyphens in one title, he had aortic repair, <laughs> he had an aortic valve transplant this past week and so there are complications. And, and Pat and I had gone to Traverse City to, to be with him and her mother right before to clean up their house and stem the stern to, uh, to, to prep and do as much stuff as we could. And he made it a real big challenge. He saw us almost more what we're doing as a threat to his own independence, his own vitality, which was not that great. That every time... His, her mother showed any love for us and kind of like took away from what he felt she could give to him. He's basically a good guy. He's gone to church all his life, but sometimes I wonder how much of it's actually sunk in. Because sometimes he can be just so mean. And he actually kicks pride that there are people in Traverse City that know him as grumpy. But this week, I discovered one thing that can really melt his heart and make him smile. Actually, it's two things. Little girls named Marcy and Audrey who lived next door, five and seven years old. Earlier this summer, these two had made handwritten and then hand-delivered cards to give to him. Ten days before your birthday, Five days before your birthday. One day before your birthday. And then a real big one that said, Happy Birthday. And inside each card was a little picture and the phrase, We like you because. And their mother's mother filled out something for that. He kept everyone. Showed them to us. That made his day. That made his days. It gave him strength and hope and, and filled him with love. Maybe even made him a little less grumpy. And I'm sure that right now there's this big get well card in the making if he hasn't already received it. Before we left, Patty went next door to, to beat them to say thank you and, and tell them how much their cards meant to him and to us who are so far removed. To know people that, that are so close can care this deeply. And the response of the mother was, this is not a big deal. We're just trying to be good neighbors. But it was a very big deal. Still is. In the epistle lesson this morning, we find the beginning of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Biblical trivia fans, just in case you're curious, 1 Thessalonians is the first book written in the New Testament, the earliest one we got. And you can tell because everything that Paul's talking about in the peripheral, everything seems new and fresh, challenging, exciting, almost at times, but he's making it up as he goes along. But actually, Paul was forced to write this letter. 
course, because he couldn't be there in person and an urgent matter had cropped up among this congregation that he had founded before going on to other places, an urgent matter that had to be dealt with. In hindsight, it's almost humorous. But apparently someone in this congregation, someone well thought of, much beloved, significant to their day-to-day -day operation, someone that that cared about, had died. And they sent word to Paul, they're very concerned about her eternal status. Because Jesus hadn't returned, had he? So, so what happens to her? Or, or gulp implied, did Jesus already come back and he missed it? Which says that Thessalonica was a bit off the beaten path. Now, as we're going to see in the weeks ahead, in the epistle lessons to come, that Paul really assures them clearly that no, Jesus had not yet returned in that way. But here, as he begins this letter, he starts out by commending them. He tells them, they may still be waiting for Jesus to come, but it was really obvious that God was right there with them right now. He says, we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not only in word, but then through the powerful deeds that through the Holy Spirit you have been doing. In other words, for them, the proof of their faith in Christ Jesus wasn't in what they believed and the intensity therein, but in what they did. And their witness their witness to God's love in them was spread out in, in almost innocent, loving actions to everyone else. And you can tell how proud Paul is, Paul is of this church. He says, the word of the Lord sounds forth from you even without you saying a single word. And their actions that everybody recognized as following Jesus had the whole countryside talking. As I read that, I kept thinking about those two little girls in Traverse City, Michigan, making cards for the man next door. You see, I don't know if they go to church. I don't know if they're even Christian, but I give thanks to my God for them and their open-hearted care for my stepfather-in-law. And I know that God is definitely working in them and through them, even if they think they're just being good neighbors. Because that's the way God works. He gives us this bountiful store of love and then watches with delight for those rare occasions which it flows right through us. And we love others with that. It's so easy, so doable, if we don't take all these efforts to constrict the flow. So love your neighbor. And if you have a hang-up with the word love, just be nice to your neighbor. And if you want to find out, well, who's my neighbor and who's not, that was the question that Jesus answered in the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's not the question at all. It's a, who do I have to be as my neighbor? It's am I going to be a good neighbor? I thought of that. I kept on wondering how often, if ever, someone might think that way about me. The same way Paul thought of the Thessalonians. That you are just who you are because God puts you there. God's working through you. Or as Paul says, I can tell God is in you because you've done exactly what I said, God said, you should do, and even more. 
They were an example of the Holy Spirit at work to all those who lived around them in Macedonia and Achaia. Who can we be examples to? I know you're thinking this is one of them there evangelism sermons, right? That I'm going to go on and say, I expect you to go out of these doors and then make testimonies to strangers on planes. Go knocking door to door in your neighborhood. Make those awkward moments with your friends where you, you ask them to believe in Jesus. No. In fact, that's exactly what I'm not saying. You see, sometimes I think we get our perspective a bit warped about sharing Jesus with others. We've made it more complicated and more intimidating than it needs to be. We make it something artificial that we have to bring in and then act out. And we made it more black and white, more in or out, more saved or condemned than it really should be. The simple fact is, Jesus loved people. Sometimes it seems that he loved bad and even evil people more than he loved decent ones, but I think the fact of the matter is he just really loved all people, and especially those who know they needed that kind of love, even if they didn't even know it. And so we find him embracing tax collectors, prostitutes, and lepers, and arguing and going toe-to-toe with Pharisees and scribes. Gospel's a case in point. The Pharisees and the Herodians were as opposite as you could be in those days. And they form an alliance. It would be like the ACLU and the Tea Party connecting together today. They found themselves that there was one thing they could agree on and how much they wanted to get Jesus. And so they asked him a trick question to get everybody else mad at him, too. And he successfully deals with that question. And we'll make a big deal about that, of whether we pay taxes or not, what is Caesar's, what is God's, the whole bit. But you know, what's really intriguing is that last verse in that little same section. We kind of don't bear in mind. I like the way it ends. They stand there, and Matthew says, his reply amazed them. Or as my professor said back in college, one of those moments that make you go, hmm. And they sat there amazed, and, and, and they left him. But did that amazement give way to kind of like looking at things a new way? I mean, I really believe that as they left with that amazement on their face, Jesus had to be smiling. Because he loved them, too. So yeah, give Caesar what is Caesar's, and give God what is God's. But duh, everything is God's. Even then. Anyway, back to love how easy it is. I want to give you homework from this sermon. Here's the assignment. I want you to think of someone you know or maybe almost know that might not know how much Jesus loves him or her. I'll take a moment because I really want you to think of someone, one person specifically. Think of someone you encounter, someone that you, you, you know, someone that you could actually, you know, bring Jesus to bear in. And I want you, the next two weeks, to enjoy that person. You don't have to convert him. You don't have to drag her to church. I just want you, the specific person in mind, I want you to go out and hang with him. 
Be nice to them. That's it. Be a Thessalonian to someone else. By that I mean, go there. Be with him or her. Wait for Jesus. Try to be like him. Introduce Jesus. At least the one that's inside of you already. Because if you do this, I guarantee you, Actually, it's not my guarantee. It's Jesus who says, there are two or three are gathered with me and mine. I'm with them. But I guarantee you that you're going to discover a whole bunch of different ways in which Jesus is already at work in that person's life. And when you see it, celebrate it. Point it out. Freely, without any fear or intimidation. It doesn't have to work for church membership or anything else. You're not trying to make a sale. You're just describing what you see. And who you see. And who you're looking at. Now, I had this great, I, I had a little struggle. I was telling some of the people after the reception yesterday that, that I, I couldn't figure out a way to end this sermon. I, I was kind of trying to come up with some sort of cute little anecdote or story or, or one of those illustrations you get in magazines or books. Couldn't find one. And I think that's really a God thing because... Instead of me ending something with a clever story, I would rather hear what you're going to discover in the next couple of weeks. So the end of the sermon is like, to be determined. <laughs> but I want you to discover, really, how easy it is to make someone else feel real good. How easy, how doable, and how very much what Jesus wants us to do and to be. That's your son. Amen. Now in the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts, your minds, in Christ Jesus, the life everlasting. Amen.